Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad it smells worse than the droppings coming out of the back end of Taylor Swift's posse. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on uh, Tuesday night. What is this? The end of February. Wow, March is right around the corner. Holy mackerel, that went fast. Uh, Anyway, uh, on tonight's show, did not intend for this all to happen this way, but uh, you know what? going to be... not filled with all the best of news, but some great memories, and uh, we'll discuss that because uh, Pipe Parts will be a letter that I received an advanced copy of from McClellan Tobacco Company. And then my guest tonight is uh, Rick Newcomb, and I uh, had to wait for Rick to come back from uh, traveling and got Rick to sit down with me yesterday and talk about memories of his friend Lars Everson and uh, you know just kind of kind of talk over Lars and his impact on both Rick and the uh, pipe smoking hobby as we know it today so um, a lot of uh, things of the memory memories of past uh, anyway uh, what'd you do for International Pipe Smoking Day did you uh, sit down and listen to the Pipes Magazine radio show yeah well I did one um, Anyway, hope you had a good time. Hope that was uh, hope you got together got together with some friends either in person or online. And I just want to remind you that the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, we do our best to post a brand new show every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and then it is uh, sent out off of PipesMagazine.com onto iTunes and all the other uh, podcast servers and all that stuff. Just as soon as they pick them up. So, brand new shows every week starting around Tuesday at 8 p.m. And the entire archive is sitting there waiting for you. So, if you want to go back in time and hear a more upbeat, happier show, like last week, (laughs) uh, you can do that. So, uh, yeah, anyway, all uh, the entire archive is there for free for you to listen to anytime you want to. And I'm uh, still fine-tuning and tweaking the new podcasting software here at the studio built at my house. So, hope you're enjoying what should be better sound quality. And I guarantee you the uh, recording of Rick that I did yesterday sounds like the it's the best telephone recording quality I've ever done. So, hope you're enjoying that. All right, got a lot to get through, so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, here we go with pipe parts, and as I reported or said, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, you know, there's rumors about McClellan and not being able to get the Red Virginia and all that. Well, the uh, rumor mill and the internet went crazy yesterday, or uh, was it Sunday night? I can't remember, with the announcement that they're done. And so I talked to Mike and Mary, and, well, I mainly talked to Mike, but uh, I actually got to talk to Mary, and she forwarded me an advanced uh, copy of a letter that's going out to all their, uh, I guess all their mailing list. I'm not sure. I guess it may be maybe just their accounts, but anyway. So here it is. 
and it says the McClellan Tobacco Company is closing after 40 years. We want to thank all the retailers and pipe smokers whose support and efforts to spread their appreciation of our pipe tobaccos have taken us from a very modest beginning in Grandpa McClellan's basement in the fall of 1977 to a company with a worldwide reputation of quality. We've made our pipe tobaccos, Virginias, Oriental mixtures, aromatics, etc. from the highest grades of leaf and strip tobaccos because of their basic richness and natural sweetness. That has been the beauty of McClelland, and that is now the problem. We can no longer access tobacco the quality we need. The time-honored labor-intensive process at the farm are disappearing. The aging of leaf over several summers to mellow is largely a thing of the past. We need old-school methods at every stage before manufacturing to make it possible for McClelland to draw from the leaf the flavors that have been our hallmark. Without the supportive infrastructure our government used to, used to provide, a small company such as ours cannot continue. We might have limped along with lesser leaf, but nobody would have been happy with the resulting products, and we would have been ashamed of them. We've sold down all the inventory that we have been able to produce with the finest leaf. We want to thank you, our customers, and thank our great employees, friends, who have been so capable and conscientious and thank our leaf suppliers who have made an extraordinary effort to search out the finest leaf possible for us for 40 years. We will miss McClelland and our daily contacts with our friends in the pipe community. We feel privileged to have been part of this wonderful world of the pipe for so long. The finest people we know have been and are pipe and tobacco people. We hope to keep, our con keep up our contacts as we move on to the next phase of life. We wish everybody good luck and good fortune, Mike and Mary McNeil. I have a feeling most of that's Mary McNeil. Not so much Mike. But there's the, uh, there's the letter they're putting out. Uh, two things I want to add to that. One, if they, had, if they were required, the, the FDA requirements as I understand them, if they were to change country of origin of their tobacco, let's say, you know, just go to Africa or Asia or start sourcing, you know, just sourcing tobaccos from different parts of the world, that would have been a change to their blends and they would have had to have resubmitted all of them. And then again, the, you know, would it have been the same tobaccos they've been receiving year over year? And it would have been a time, a time-consuming and expensive uh, process. Uh, the other thing that I want to bring your attention to, and if you go back to Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, Winter of 2000, there's an article about a uh, about McClellan in there, and I'll just read you the last paragraph, and it says. Uh, the pride and sense of honor drives the McNeils to produce the very highest quality smoking mixtures possible. It is not in their makeup to produce anything that is not exemplary. If the quality of available leaf ever went down, says Mike, to the point where we didn't like our own product, we would shut the doors. We would shut the doors immediately and end it all because our name is on that can and I'd rather find something else to do than put out something that isn't right. I'd rather go out of business. That way we could say, well, at least we went out with a great name. So McClellan will always be high quality, will never change. 
And that goes back to uh, the winter of 2000. So uh, 18 years ago, and that's how they felt. And you know what? That's that's what they're doing. They're they're not going to change their style and their methods. And you know, it's the end of an era. All right, in uh, just a minute, we'll have my discussion with uh, Rick Newcomb about Lars Everson. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us is Rick Newcomb. Rick, I believe this is your third time on the show now. Am I right? It uh, could be. I think, yes, the yeah. third time, but the first time I was with Sykes Wilford, and then the second yeah. time alone, and now the third time, yes. So, uh, noted author, uh, pipe collector, world traveler, and uh, and pipe enthusiast, Rick Newcomb, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you. I'm always glad to be back. Yeah, and I, and I specifically asked you back because of your relationship with, uh, with Lars Everson and... You know, it'd be nice. I, I know there's there's not a lot of people that are actually really familiar with Lars as a person or, you know, has have seen a lot of Lars's pipes. So, you know, that's why I wanted to have you back, because I, I think I, I want everybody by the end of this to understand that even though you may not have owned a Lars pipe or met Lars, you know, people in the hobby right now that are their, their pipes are influenced by Lars. Their pipe making style is, um, I mean, there, there's nobody else that I can think of that's really touched as many other pipe makers as Lars has. Oh, I agree with that. I think Lars Iverson changed the pipe world as we know it. Um, let me say one thing about his name. Uh, we, you know, in America, we say Iverson and uh, like the basketball player, Alan Iverson. Yeah. Um, in Denmark, they say Everson, and that's the correct pronunciation. So Lars and I were talking about that. And I said to him, do you, would you prefer that we call you Everson or Iverson? And he said, well, you know, in America, you don't say Paris, you say Paris. So until you Americans start calling Paris Paris, you may as well call me Iverson. <laughs> so he had a he had a great sense of humor. So that was I just wanted to address that one issue. But I I find myself going back and forth between Iverson and Everson. Yeah. Well, when did you first meet Lars? I met Lars in 1995. Uh, my wife and I went to uh, Copenhagen and. I looked up in the yellow pages uh, the night before, and I 
found um, the name S. Bang, and I pictured this was going to be a big factory. It turned out to be two people in a workshop. Uh, <laughs> I saw the name Jess Chanowicz, which is actually pronounced Yes Konovitz. And I called him, and we set, scheduled uh, an appointment for lunch. I went over to the W.O. Larson store on the walking street. They had a pipe museum in the basement, and Oli Larson gave me a tour of it and a lot of funny stories and tidbits. And meanwhile, I had looked up Sixth and Iverson. Uh, he had a workshop just two blocks from, from W.O. Larson. So I remember that I'd had this lunch with, uh, with Yes Konovitz, now I'm over uh, talking with Oli Larson and asking, now, where's the Sixth and Iverson workshop? And he acted like he had never heard of it, like he had no idea what I was talking <laughs> about. I thought, I thought that was really kind of ridiculous. But anyway, then I walked out to the walking street and showed somebody the address. And he said, oh, it's right up there, a couple blocks. So I, I walked in um, and Sixth and was there with uh, a teenage girl who turned out to be his granddaughter, Nana, who was about 17 at the time, and a middle-aged man, the one who I had talked to on the phone and set up the telephone, uh, set up the appointment with. It was 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, and this was Lars. And Sixton didn't say much because he didn't speak much English. And Nana yeah. didn't say much because she didn't speak much English. But Lars was fluent. Um, and so he did a lot of the translating. I think Nana did speak. Uh, definitely more than six then, but not as much as Lars at that time. She later lived in America, so now her English is, you know, just like an American. Yeah. <laughs> so that was when we first met. And I remember wanting to buy a pipe. And Lars said, well, you got to stand in line. <laughs> uh, and this was 1995. So I ordered a pipe, one from each of them. And uh, it turned out the one I got from Sixton was the last pipe he ever made. And that's in my in, picture of that pipe is in my book, In Search of Pipe Dreams. And Nana made a pipe that we called golf ball on a tee because it looked like a golf ball on a, on a tee. And Lars <laughs> made a kind of circular, sort of a blowfish, but with a long asymmetrical shank. And I didn't get the Lars pipe. I got the Sixton pipe and the Nana pipe probably within two months. The Lars pipe I didn't get for about eight months. It took a long time before it, I remember getting it. And it was very expensive. Uh, it was like $1,800. And I had never spent that much for a pipe. But it was it was really beautiful. And I just thought, well, you know, this is great. So that was my first meeting with Lars. Wow. Had you, had you seen his pipes or heard of his pipes before that? Yeah. It, this goes back to... Um, the late 80s when, you know, I was doing a lot of wheeling and dealing uh, with pipes, just trading and things. And I had this black sandblasted uh, pipe with a big bowl, kind of an ODA size bowl and a bamboo shank. And I, I never really paid attention in those days to who made it, you know, and I was smoking a pipe, reading the Sunday paper, drinking coffee. And I remembered how that pipe just sort of stayed lit. So I, I did kind of a double take to look. I got out a magnifying glass and it said an Iverson product, um, 1970. And so I called my friend Ed Lehman and said, tell him, what do you know about this, an Iverson product? He said, oh, that's Sixten Iverson. He's like fantastic, but his pipes cost a fortune and so on and so forth. And, uh, he, and, and then he said, um, Ewan Reese has one. Or not, not Ewan Reese, uh, Cellini's pipe shop in Chicago. Uh, 
had this uh, volcano, straight grain smooth, that was just gorgeous. But they had it in the window for years. And, and in those days, like, in, you know, in the 70s or 60s, it was made in 1964. So it was out in the 60s. Um, they were asking like over a thousand dollars. And wow. so it hadn't sold. It was just basically a display piece for the for Cellini's pipe store, yeah. which then when it closed, the brother and sister uh, had the inventory and Ed contacted whichever one had the Iverson pipe on my behalf. And he negotiated a price down for me. I think it was 1200 and I bought that because it, the, the, the one Iverson pipe I had, the, the black sandblast with the bamboo smoked so well, I thought I've got to try another one. So I got this and I just loved it right from the beginning. It was fantastic. Um, and this was all about, I don't know, I would guess early nineties. Um, and then during the uh, Indiana, Indiana Briar fires, I remember there was a collector, John Loring from Chicago, who was really into old Dunhills. And I had a, a couple of beautiful old bent Dunhills that he really wanted uh, made, I think, around World War II, during World War II or right before or after. And um, we traded those for one Sixth and Iverson pipe, a smooth pipe that I was very happy with. And uh, so, you know, I was really into these pipes. I didn't have very many, but the ones I had, I just really treasured. And then in 1995, my wife, Carol, who is part Danish, said, why don't we go to Copenhagen? You know, I'm, I've got relatives there. I'd love to see. So I said, great. So we went and um, on the way, and I've written about uh, this trip where we stopped in Germany and went to Peter Heinrich's house of 10,000 pipes. Yeah. And when I was looking at Peter's pipes, the high grades, um, I look. I remember seeing. The, I kept going back to this one pipe maker I had never heard of, and it, they were stamped Jess J E S S. And I said, "Who is this? These are fantastic." <laughs> and he said, "That's Jess Konovitz." I said, well, "I don't know him." And I, no way am I going to give you a thousand dollars for a pipe maker I've never heard of. And he said, "Well, I don't know, care if you've heard of him. I mean, people in Europe know him. I mean, he's he's really good." And I said, "Yeah, I can see that." <laughs> and so when we got to Copenhagen, and I saw his name in the phone book, I called him up. And he likes to joke that since we were staying at the Dangleterre Hotel, which is like a five-star hotel, like Danny Kay used to stay there. He was Danish, and when he would go to Copenhagen, they had the Danny Kay suite and so on. Yeah. So Yet said, oh, my God, a customer at Dangleterre. This guy's got some bucks. I'm going <laughs> to zip in for lunch. You know? <laughs> we, we became friends, and so he's laughing about this. So anyway, he after that lunch, we went up to my room, and he pulled out a briefcase with maybe eight pipes. And my mouth dropped. I had never seen so much beautiful grain and beautiful shaping and incredible pipes. And I bought one, a straight grain for $800. Uh, mm. He took a check, a person because I didn't have any more cash. So he took a personal check for it. And, uh, and I still have it. I still treasure it. I still smoke it. Um, what's that, 23 years later? And, I'm, and probably 23 years from now, I'll continue to smoke it. Yeah. So... Do you know did did Lars have any other uh, any other inclination of what he wanted to do for a living besides pipe making? Well, he enjoyed um, making knives, and he was very good at it. And he enjoyed cooking, so he was a gourmet chef. But no, he grew up with his father being Sixten Iverson, who was a legend in yeah. pipe making. I mean, Sixten created um, you know the horn shape. And it was a freehand. He basically made the first freehand where in the drilling, um, 
he would drill the holes, I guess, after shaping the pipe uh, rather than before. And that seems risky or whatever. But he, he knew that, you know, the shapes he wanted to make could not fit into the lathe or something like this. So um, he created in 1959, like from 47 to 59, he had been making classically shaped pipes. So that would be billiards, bulldogs, Canadians, uh, full bents, um, I don't know, Lavats. And it was in 59 that he created the horn, what he called the oliphant. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of a whole freehand revolution. And it's like, uh, I remember Rick Hacker, Richard Carlton Hacker, who wrote the Ultimate Pipe Book, once saying to me, well, Sixten Iverson is the Thomas Edison of pipe makers. I mean, he created the freehand in, in a sense. And I think that is what happened. Um, now, yeah. Lars was different. You know, Lars growing up in the shadow of his father at age 12 uh, and age 15, he was he was making he was working on mouthpieces. He was working on tenons, repairing tenons. He was uh, doing some staining, doing finishing on pipes and just learning every aspect from his father. When he was 16, he made his first pipe with a lot of help from his dad. It's just like Nana, when she was, you know, 17, when I met her in the workshop, um, her pipes were getting a lot of help from her grandfather. And like I have a 1993 Nana, which meant she was probably 15 or 14. And it is one of my absolute best smoking pipes. And But you can tell Sixten um, had a heavy hand in helping his <laughs> granddaughter, you know, make this gorgeous, beautiful pipe. That's a um, that's a perfect spot for us to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the, the, the transition into the next generation. So uh, stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, Educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at smokingpipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, hanging out with Rick Newcomb. And Rick, you've got an article coming out in Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the article. If you want to read that, go get a copy of the magazine. But there's one line in there that I really like. And it, and it says that, uh, Sixton rebelled against the classical shapes while Lars created a whole new genre of classical shapes. And I'd love for you to explain that and, and dig into it. Yes. Uh, before I do that, let me just explain. This will be out in the spring 2018 issue of Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. 
And um, I highly recommend that you read it because the, the editor, Cliff Nelson, worked very hard to get some great photographs uh, to illustrate this tribute to Sixten, or to Lars, rather, and um, with, with just dr- really dramatic photos and things. Well, what it was, I mean, Lars, you know, I idolized his father. He loved Sixten, and Sixten was a very kind man and a great teacher. And here he was, this legend, a pipe, legendary pipe maker. I mean, there's some French guys wrote a book about pipes, uh, and called him the greatest pipe maker of the 20th century. So here, wow. Lars, as a young man with all these ideas and all this talent, is growing up working under the shadow, this gigantic shadow of his father, the legend, who he loves. So what, what is he going to do? Yeah. Well, he had a choice. He could have stayed in, in Lars's or in Sixten's workshop and made Sixten pipes, uh, you know, for the next 40 years. And but he he just he chose not to do that because within him. He had these ideas that for his own pipes. So in 1970, he, he graduated from college in 69 with a degree in uh, business economics. And he moved out to the countryside because he, he really considered himself a country boy, even though he grew up uh, and had worked in Copenhagen. But he loved the countryside. And he started developing his own shapes. And over the years... You know, he he created the original blowfish. Uh, he created the acorn pipe. He created that gentle S curve or the asymmetrical shank that we see in artisan pipes. I mean, I don't think any pipe maker alive has ever had any single pipe maker has had so much influence on pipe making. Uh, see what, what what's happened is when Sixten made pipes back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, everybody smoked a pipe. Yeah. Now, almost nobody smokes a pipe. People collect pipes. So we've got all these discerning collectors and all these pipe makers. I mean, I've heard some people say there are more pipe makers than there are customers. You know, there are a lot of (laughs) brand new pipe makers and they all want to be artists. The, The artisan, you know, and many of them have training in fine arts or they they have advanced education and they're really into artistic uh uh, design much more than they are into the smoking quality or or whatever because that it, the, the reason i don't know the, the whole the whole pipe collecting world has changed and if you yep. go to the chicago pipe show in may and we've got 300 plus tables and i guarantee you the majority of them will be filled with artisan pipes yep that basically copy Lars Iverson in one way or another, whether the pipe maker knew it or not. I mean, he may be copying somebody, a copy of a copy of a copy, but Lars was the original who put these things down. Now, I'll tell you, another pipe maker who I keep saying is one of my all-time favorites is Yes Conovitz. I, I really think in, in many ways, I mean, you know, George Amaram, a collector from Philadelphia, told me that these days, after having hundreds of pipes, um, he mostly smokes Yes Conovitz and Jay Allen, Jeff Grasick pipes. And I can understand where he's coming from because they both make really great smoking pipes. Uh, but, Lar- but Yes Conovitz will tell you that in his opinion, Lars Iverson is the greatest pipe maker who ever lived. Wow. Uh, Wolfgang Becker from Germany, a renowned pipe maker, told me it was Lars who got the motor going meaning that that's what motivated Wolfgang to become a pipe maker. He also thinks Lars is the greatest ever. There's an artist in China, uh, Shu Hai. It's spelled X-U, 
and then another word, capital H-A-I. And Shu Hai says that, again, Lars is the greatest who ever lived. Um, there, there's more than a few who think that Lars was uh, the greatest. He certainly, I would argue that he had the most influence. And you know, it's really interesting. When, in 96, he spent a week, we spent a week together at my house in Los Angeles. And yeah. we had a lot of late night conversations about pipes. And, and um, he said, you know, when I die, I want to have created just enough shapes and techniques that changed the pipe world forever, but that would be not so many that they couldn't fit into one small cigar box. And, <laughs> and I really didn't know what he was talking about. I remembered this. And, you know, now that he's dead and I think about that and what he did, yes, you could fit those into a cigar box. He, I got to tell you, the guy was very brilliant, too. He, he was fluent in four languages. Um, wow. Just absolutely amazing. Now, he and, also was was very influenced by the Japanese, and I was just in Japan. We were, my wife and I went to uh, Korea for the Olympics. I've never done that, and well, we saw him in L.A. in '84, but because we live in L.A., but this was going to a, another city. It was really spectacular, and we picked Korea because of all the conflict. We figured we might be able to get really great <laughs> deals on the airfares and hotels, and that turned out to be true. But then I said, let's go to Japan because I've never been to Japan and I've always wanted to go. So we went to Tokyo and it was when we were checking into the hotel in Tokyo and suddenly my phone got Internet. And um, I saw 20 messages that Lars had died the night before. And it was so sad. But we spent time with Ryota Shimizu. I don't know if you know Ryota. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's always at the Chicago Pipe Show and he works with Sykes Wilford and smoking pipes. And we went over to the Suge uh, factory where first time I saw a robot making pipes. This is really (laughs) cool. I took a little video of it. It's just so cool. And I found out that Stanwell used to use 3D printers uh, Mm -hmm. to make pipes. But I met a man, Hiro Fukuda, and also Asami Kikuchi, a young lady. Those are the two uh, high-grade pipe makers for Suge. And Hiro is 84 years old. Um, he traveled to uh, Copenhagen to spend time studying under Sixten and Lars. And this was the day after Lars died. So we, he knew he had heard the news and we were both very sad about that. Um, but I remember Lars telling me that Hero not only learned Sixten's style, but he captured the spirit of Sixten in his pipes. And I was studying his pipes thinking, I understand exactly what Lars meant. So it just seemed of all countries, Lars you know, love Japan. Uh, when Nana lived in New York for six months, you know, it, Lars said, you know, when I was single and unattached, I wish I had done that for six months in Japan or maybe two years in Japan. Uh, I just love Japanese influence so much. So I thought that was an interesting experience. One, one other thing I want to yeah. say is that when, when I recorded the audiobook for In Search of Pipe Dreams, there's one chapter about Lars and I asked him, would you be willing to let me interview you by phone? And he said, absolutely. And he spent one hour answering my questions. And so if you get the audio book in search of pipe dreams, you can listen to Lars Iverson for one hour. And what's, what's really interesting, what comes across is his basic modesty, even though yeah. he was supremely confident. I mean, I called him the Muhammad Ali of pipe makers, meaning I am the greatest. And in a sense, he, he kind of, thought he was the greatest and but you know (laughs) then i talked to yes and he said well he was i mean he's not he's not bragging he just was i mean 
forget it, move over Bo Nort. You know, so this is you can argue this yeah. forever. <laughs> well, the one I mean, the one thing that I always admired about about Lars when I when I saw him at the Chicago Pipe Show is he was always looking at other pipes. He was always talking to other pipe makers. And then in the years of doing interviews for this show, you, know, you, you talk about the you, you talk about the birth of the American pipe maker and you got Jeff Grasick, uh you got uh, Jody Davis, you got Michael Linder, and you got Todd Johnson, and they all at some time or another visited Lars, and Lars was exceedingly open with these other pipe makers on what they could do and what they should look at, and for for being a giant, he was he was very open and willing to share. No, that's absolutely true. I remember one year when Yes and I went over, I was visiting Yes, and we went over to see Lars. And Jody Davis and uh, Todd Johnson were both there that same day. <laughs> and uh, we all had lunch together and spent the afternoon in the workshop. And uh, I ordered one of Lars's pipes, a sandblast, and uh, had to wait about a year and a half. <laughs> then I got it. <laughs> but I remember talking to Todd. I, I get a kick out of Todd Johnson because he, he, you know how – he can be very argumentative and he loves to debate. And um, I remember at some point I said to Todd, because he had, I had heard back that somebody said, oh, Todd Johnson, or somebody told me your book is the best pipe book. I've got to read it. And I said, really? Who said that? He said, Todd Johnson. I said, well, that's <laughs> interesting. So I said to Todd, you know, most people, or many people are nice to your face, and then, but then they're really jerks behind your back. You are a jerk to my face, and you're such a nice guy behind my back. You, you like, break all the rules. No, seriously. I was kind of bantering, but I, I actually have a lot of respect for Todd Johnson, and Lars did, too. Yeah. Um, I, so I want to make that point. He also was very impressed by uh, uh, Jeff and uh, Adam Davidson and Ernie Markle and all the, the Americans coming up, Michael Lindner or North Americans, Michael Parks. Uh, Brad Pullman, you know, just this this sort of emphasis on on art and excellence and so on. That always impressed Lars. I feel like I'm leaving somebody behind. Jody Davis. He loved Jody. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that you look at is you you, you when you talk about Todd, you know, Todd Johnson and Jeff Grasick, uh, look at the amount of pipe makers that they worked with and got them started so now you've got this pyramiding out of these i mean this this is the reason why lars is you know lars is the gentle giant of pipe makers that's right that ripple effect yeah Yeah. no question no question Uh, and you know another pipe maker uh steve morissette mm -hmm. for for 30 years was a news photographer with newspapers and and uh he's a, a brilliant photographer and he took a picture of Lars at the Chicago show. Lars had cancer. He knew he was going to die within the next year or two. And it's a black and white photo that Pipes and Tobaccos ran as a full page uh, with my tribute, along with some color photos of Lars smiling and happy, yeah. the real Lars, you know. Um, and it's in, in the next upcoming issue, which, which I checked with Cliff Nelson, who told me it's going to be printed, uh, going to the printer next Monday or coming back from the printer next Monday. So the spring 2018, if you don't get PNT, you should subscribe or um, go on their website or whatever, or buy that one issue. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, let me ask you this. What non-pipe-related stuff did, did you and Lars like to talk about? Well, I know, like, with Bo, it was music. Um, I think with Lars, we talked a lot about politics. Uh, and we didn't always agree. Um, you know, the, he grew up in, in Scandinavian socialism. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there was uh, Alan Schwartz, a uh, very bright guy, uh, used to have a magazine, Pipe Smoke or something, back 25 years ago. And he wrote something. He, I remember he made an observation. He said the, the Danish high-grade pipe makers, make, they have a market of exclusive rich buyers, you know, so, so-called one percenter types. Yep. And yet their, you know, their politics are socialist in every man, you know, which is <laughs> in total contradiction. And I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and in fact, in the, in the In Search of Pipe Dreams, when I was interviewing Lars, I, I kind of raised this. I said, well, how is it? I mean, most people can't afford the $6,000 for a pipe, you know, and, and that's what yours are going for now. So what advice do you have to them if they're looking for an older pipe or, you know, a used pipe for in the $50 range that can be cleaned up with great old wood and soft rubber, et cetera? And yeah. he said, the simpler, the better. Don't try to get complicated pipes. Um, <laughs> so he, he talked about that and, and addressed it. So we talked some, to some extent about politics. Where we did agree, I remember Lars would say, the government I like the best is the one that leaves me alone the most. <laughs> and I said, well, I, kinda, I can't disagree with that, Lars. You know? <laughs> so there as pipe smokers. I remember when, when he first, his very first time in America, he said... Um, I hear you. They have gun stores in America. Yeah. And I said, you know, Lars, I'm not a gun person. I don't own a gun. I don't shoot a gun. I've never had a gun. Uh, but I would let's look in the in those days. Let's look in the yellow pages. So we pulled up the yellow pages. And sure enough, within a mile of my house, we were like five gun stores. <laughs> he said, we've got to go there. We've got to go. There. So we drove over. He just couldn't believe it, you know, because he he wanted to buy a rifle. He he shot um, on his, you know, he lived on a what had been a farm. And he had uh, he had sheep, he had chicken, chickens running around. You know, it was there were some. I mean, not not a lot, but some uh, animals. And he would actually shoot his dinner, uh, go out in the woods and find a deer or something. I don't know. Um, yes, <laughs> that was interesting. I worked with a pipe maker uh, twenty five years ago, who's from uh, Guatemala, named Tony Rodriguez. And Tony was very talented with his hands. And he also was a handyman. And I remember when Lars had just bought his new house and he told me, God, I need some help uh, with, you know, carpentry and welding and this and that. And I said, you know, I work with this guy, Tony Rodriguez. What do you think? Let me talk to Tony. If he'd be interested in going over there, I could uh, help with his airfare and, uh, if you will teach him how to make pipes, really spend some time teaching him, you know. So we sent Tony over for a week or two. And Tony did a lot of odd jobs around the house for Lars that, that he needed done. And then Lars spent a lot of time teaching Tony. Now, what was really interesting was Tony at first said it was very frustrating for him. And I said, why? And he said, because all Lars would talk about were the smoking qualities of the pipe. How there can't be one millimeter of a... Uh, of airspace and because you see and that's that's so interesting to me that even though his aesthetic sense is what he's known for i know him for his exquisite smoking qualities of his pipes 
a lot of the if you go on the website of the artisan pipe makers today the younger ones they say look it's just three holes anybody can drill the three holes don't worry about that just worry about the outside artistic flair well not according to lars not according to yes no way those three holes and how you the how you modify them and what you do with them there has to be a reason why their pipes are such exceptional smokers and most of those very controversial subject a lot of people disagree with me on that so well and and i'll and i'll say that most of the pipe makers that i've met and i show them the pipes of theirs that i own they are happy to see that they're smoked and that they're smoked heavily and that they're used regularly and that they're not museum pieces sitting on a shelf that's right that's right um We've uh, so the article's coming out, and then there's the audio book that's got the interview in it, and you know we can yeah you, know, you can get that is uh, is the audio book is that on iTunes and Audible and all that stuff? That's right. It's on Audible.com from Amazon, iTunes, and some other places too. But yes, yeah. So we're gonna wrap this up with a variation of the fast five final questions, and I've only had about uh, thirty-five or forty minutes to figure this one out. But uh, Rick, you're gonna get these questions in, uh, and they're gonna be what you think Lars would have answered. So how's that? Right. I'm gonna pretend like I'm Lars. Okay. Okay. What do you think Lars would say his favorite pipe is? Probably a, a short one uh, that. <laughs> But it's his his version of a billiard slash chimney with a gold with a uh, silver ring, um, what we would call a nose warmer. Yep. And uh, what was Lars's favorite tobacco? <sighs> Premier Crew, and that I know that because it's also yes, his favorite. It's <laughs> a uh, it's from my own blend in Copenhagen, and it's kind of like a Scudo. It's uh, Virginia and Perique. Yep. It used to be an A and C Peterson blend, and then they merged it into the My Own Blend line. Uh, uh-huh, so you know, you know, it, Premier Crew. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, what was uh, what was Lars's favorite thing to drink? Mm, could be beer. Could be wine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he he liked uh, he liked to drink. Um, I remember once Dayton Matlick from Pipes and Tobaccos and came to my house and Lars was there and we drove down to San Diego to spend a day with Jim Benjamin, who was yeah. great at restoring old pipes. And and we had a fantastic time. Now we're driving home. It's probably about, I don't know, five, six o'clock and the freeway is kind of crowded and we're in the carpool lane. And Lars says he's in the back seat. Dayton's in the front seat and I'm driving. And Lars said, Hey, Rick, is there any chance we can pull over and uh, get some booze? So we pulled (laughs) over so we could get a six pack, which he drank, you know, before we got back to the house. I mean, I mean, he he always kept it under moderation, but, you know, I just remember that. It was I chuckled. When Lars would uh, relax, what do you think he liked to do? Smoke his pipe. Yeah, and that, and that's and, and and just admire the lines of the of the pipe, and and that's something that I think is different from some of the from some of the more modern pipe makers. In that Lars was not only was he a pipe maker, he was dedicated to smoking the pipe as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Now you know because he started smoking a pipe back in the '60s and so on for whatever reason. 
he liked to inhale. So it was very much like smoking a cigarette. And he would also roll his own cigarettes and smoke five to 10 cigarettes every day. And that inhaling, I have found, I mean, for a while I inhaled early on. And I realized this, I just had this, I remember talking to Per Bilhoff from, from Sweden. Yeah. And Per said that he was doing that too. And he just told himself, Per, stop inhaling. Don't inhale. And I, I remember, so I started saying, Rick, don't inhale. And I, you know, I don't inhale anymore. But that, that was probably starting 10 years ago. And But I, I don't think Lars ever said Lars stop inhaling. <laughs> and then uh, for the final question, um, in, in your article, you state that Lars said that, yeah, it was Sixton, then Lars, and now Nana is the heir apparent to the, to the uh, Everson name. Uh, do, yes. you, do you have a quick favorite Nana story that you can tell us? Well, I've watched Nana uh, grow and blossom. I mean, you know, it, at the time I met her, about a year or two later, she got accepted into this design school that took, I don't know, I wrote about it in my book, but it was something like two applicants out of 500 or something. It was some incredibly competitive thing. And, and she studied design then for four years and has made pipes. She's just such a master and so painstakingly slow, just like her father, just like her grandfather, where everything has to be perfect. And so Lars was so proud of Nana. He also was very close to oldest daughter, Camilla, and his wife, Annetta. He and Annetta were married 35 years. And I yeah. feel very bad for for all three of them because, you know, he was just such a warm, wonderful person. No, I... you, again, if you listen to the audiobook interview in Search of Pipe Dreams, I'm not just trying to promote this. I'm telling you, look, you get a real feel for his personality and how good his English was, too. Yeah. And I and I think really, I think his favorite I think his favorite role of recent was being grandfather. Yeah, he loved being grandfather. He also had an incredible sense of humor. You know, Mitch Michelson. Mitch is yeah. from uh, Texas. He used to ride actually in rodeos. He owned an oil company. And he like, you know, he somebody once called me the apostle of pipes. And so Mitch started <laughs> addressing me as howdy apostle. And because he's Jewish, too. So yeah. we, we get a kick out of this. You know, I'm Catholic, so I'm howdy apostle. So anyway, Mitch would tell Lars these these sort of cowboy jokes and Lars would tell Mitch. And it was just so this was at the Chicago show, you know, under the in the tent at a table. And we would all be howling. And it was just. Lars just loved to laugh and loved to joke. And ah, so sad he's died. Yeah. Well, Rick, thank you very much for coming back on. Thanks for sharing this. And, you know, I, I just want everybody to take away that, you know, if, if you haven't seen or owned a Lars pipe or you haven't met Lars, if you're in the pipe hobby today, something in your pipe rack has been affected by Lars. That's absolutely true. Thanks very much, Brian. Thank you. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. 
Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. I forgot to mention that uh, Rick is also a fellow doctor of pipes. So a little more street cred for Rick. And I really do, Rick, I want to thank you for coming on and telling your uh, your personal stories about a dear friend. Uh, I also want to mention in regards to McClelland, I've uh, poked around and talked to some other tobacco companies and this only affects McClellan's uh, signature tobaccos and their and their stylings. So, as far as I can see, everybody else still has a regular supply out there. All right, for music, I thought you know what? As long as we're talking about uh, things that have ended and stuff like that, one of my favorite songs is from Styx, and it's called "The Best of Times." It's you know really about a couple, but if you listen to the words, it's really about you know enjoying the moment and remembering the best of times. Tonight's the night we'll make history, honey. I'll take any risk to tie back the hands of time And stay with you here tonight I know you feel these are the words Do believe it's true When people lock their doors And hide inside Rumor has it It's the end of paradise But I know If the world just passed us by
headlines read These are the worst of times I do believe it's true I feel so helpless Like a boat against the tide I wish the summer wind Could bring back paradise But I know of the album Paradise Theater by Styx, uh, one of my absolute favorite albums of all times. Read the mail, read the mail, read the mail. Lots of stuff to get through in the mailbag, so we'll go back just off of last week's show, which apparently uh, everybody liked. Uh, Leatherman said, I already restored one estate this weekend. My indulgence for IPSD, but after listening to the podcast, I'm itching to hunt through some antique stores. I didn't visit to look for another diamond in the rough. Off I go. All right. Uh, And then uh, Crash the Gray says, uh, I wonder if anyone else caught the ivory drop. (laughs) That was an amusing timing. Yeah. Um, And then uh, SWB118 said, Ever remember the name of the French manufacturer with Rooster's as their logo? And uh, yes, I did. It's, uh, It's a French... French brand. It's called Vielle Briere Courriel. C-O-U-R-R-I-E-U. And uh, according to pipefill.eu, the brand goes all the way back to 1802. Uh, so obviously pre-Briar. Uh, but anyway, the, it's C-O-U-R-R-I-E-U. Not sure exactly how to pronounce it in French. Uh, let's see. Troll said, uh, my small town in central Florida, Mount Dora, just got a pipe and cigar shop. Yay for you. Uh, we are trying to start a club. The owner and I spoke of the fad rules of how her, uh, how she cannot blend tobacco. Uh, the FDA rules. Okay. Uh, he also told me that Dunhill stopped production of all cigars, pipes, and tobaccos. Please comment. To the best of my knowledge, and I don't know anything about the cigars because I don't care, um, the tobacco is still available, still readily available, and I did check in with one of my friends at Lane Limited, and they said, yeah, it's still, uh, we've, we've got a bunch of it. So, still readily available, don't know if production has stopped yet, but I do know that there's a bunch still here in the U.S., uh, then Crash the Gray writes another great show in the books. Nice review of the estate market. I'd like to see Bill back to focus on the changes in K. Woody. His last interview, he didn't really speak to his contributions. I didn't realize that he makes every K. Woody handmade himself until I asked him. 
I think he's too modest. Such an interesting song. Really enjoyable for the content. The voice, maybe not as much. Uh, great choice, though. Happy belated IPSD. Uh, and then Casey Ghost says, It was a good show, but seemed to be missing something. 45 minutes doesn't do much for the estate market. I can't recommend enough to younger people getting into pipes that when they are ready to try a brand, try the estate market, uh, trying... Let me try that again. Then when they are ready to try a brand, that the estate market is the way to go. I like saying I like staying in America for my pipes and it's hard to beat them. Getting an estate Jesse Jones or Andy Peterson or Nate King, etc. is quite a treat. To be honest, I prefer to buy from the carver himself, but sometimes you just can't do that. The music rose to the level of meh. I like when uh, I like when you get people like Casey Ghost and who are using uh, meh and LOL and stuff like that. Uh, and then next, Dino says, hey, give Rupert a break. <laughs> it's not meant to be a Berlin ballad. I think he performed that little novelty song quite well. Anyway, thanks for the shout-out, Brian. Another very interesting and informative conversation with Shane. You guys work well together. I look forward to next month. Another fun show. Thanks, Dino. Uh, Dino, you're welcome. And then uh, finally, Down Home Smoker says, I agree with Dino. You and Shane co-host well together. I thought that Shane sharing that bit about how things like oxidation don't affect the offer they make you for an estate was really informative. I guess I always just assumed that the stuff would affect the value. But the way he explained it made sense. Another great show, Brian. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. And uh, you know what? Um, let me just say the, the music. Music does not always have to be great to be entertaining. Music just has to occupy your mind for the time and just make you, you know, forget about what you're what else is going on in the world at the moment? And, um, you know, I'll say, uh, how many of you out there have been recorded and distributed on vinyl? Well, not too many. Um, and, and how many songs are there really about pipes? How can you just meh about a song about a pipe? I mean, really, it's, it's about a pipe. It's about the stuff we love. Uh, you know, you, you don't hear, uh, you don't hear Taylor Swift singing about pipes and pipe tobacco. All right. Enough of that. Rant time next. Cowboy. Cowboy. The Winter Olympics are over for the next four years. Yes, the cameras are all being taken down and cables being wrapped up. Satellite dishes are coming back from Korea and all those world-class athletes performing in their sports are now going back into another four years of oblivion, except for the X Games. These athletes work four years long to train, practice, prepare, and get ready to perform on a world stage against the best athletes the world has to offer. And now most of them go back to four years of, we don't know who they are, we don't pay attention to who they are, we have no idea what they do, and we don't care. So... There is absolutely no reason that anybody should mock anybody who is performing at the Olympics on that world stage. 
No, I don't want to hear any complaints about, yeah, I know, if ice skating isn't your thing and it's not, I don't care. Don't, don't mock it. Don't mock the athletes. They are performing on a world stage and competing against the best, and they deserve the respect that they have earned by working that hard all those years. If curling isn't your thing, who cares? Those are still the best in the world out there, working their tails off for four years, prepping and preparing and competing in almost uh, anonymity, and then the cameras are turned on for the Olympics. These people are dedicated to what they do to be the best. From a non-smoker's point of view or somebody who doesn't understand pipes, they think, well, a pipe's a pipe, that's it. What does it matter? Well, the best of the best become the best because they keep working at it and working at it and don't mock them. All right, there you go. I can't wait another four years before I watch, uh, before I watch hockey again really closely. Uh, anyway. Remind, or just remember that the new episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show come out every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. They're posted, and then they're there for eternity for you to listen to anytime you want to. So share it with your friends. Share it on Facebook in your groups. Uh, share it with your pipe clubs. Share every, yeah, share it all. It's free to listen to. All you have to do is turn it on in the background and listen. If you get a chance, swing by iTunes, give us a rating or a review. We would appreciate that. And while if you're on Facebook, go to the Pipes Magazine radio show page and give us a like there. All right. Uh, I'm glad we got through this episode. Thank you to Rick for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy I can answer none of your questions at this time.